0: Welcome to the Mode Knit Yarn Podcast. In each episode, Annie Modisat, that's me, or Kathleen Pescusi, my partner, or both of us will chat with some cool person from the knitting world, someone you may have heard of, or perhaps just someone down the street who we think you'd enjoy meeting. Our ninth episode features Biggin Ruddups, a friend of mine who also happens to be an amazing hand designer and creator of an incredible line of colorful yarns that are a dream to knit with. Biggin and I met in London around seven years ago, and we immediately hit it off. Beautiful inside and out, I think you'll really love this visit with Biggin, and we'll soon consider her a good friend. We chat about Biggin's start in Sweden. Socialism, kindness, Buddhism, gay rights, and all kinds of stuff. So, be warned. We also discuss our love of being around knitters, how much we gain from our students, and compare notes on how some current fashions can make anyone look unattractive. We sound a lot like my mother in this section. I guess that happens to everyone as they grow older. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Rude Yes. Okay, good. I'm always afraid to say it because I'm generally... Yeah, but you can say rye dupes. Yeah, that's it. Rude dupes. Well, I will say it correctly from now on. Yeah. Because that's the kind of person I am. My last name is kind of a made-up name. It's Modisette. Yeah. And you don't find it anywhere else in the world, only in the United States, because um, apparently, and this is just piecing it together, there were three brothers who came over in the 1680s from England. Oh, And there was no, there's no history of any Modisette leaving England, but there is history of mothersheds. And they, they pronounce it in England, Mutterset. They don't pronounce the H. Yes. So we think that that was them and that they probably were illiterate, like most of my family has been, yeah. and and just spelled it Mutterset, because it sounds like Mutterset. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So that, that's our feeling, but I could be wrong. But.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. And they were so long.
0: Yeah, it, I grew up thinking it must be French, but it's not. I mean, mm. you will not find this name anywhere in France, so it's just kind of made up.
1: Yeah, well... There
0: you so. go. <laughs> it's, it's very American, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we reinvent ourselves. So, you fascinate me because you're originally from Sweden. Sweden. And yeah. where in Sweden?
1: I was born in Stockholm, and, oh. uh, but I grew up in Malmö. Mm-hmm. And Malmö, you know, is the Swedish city where the bridge over to Copenhagen in Denmark.
0: Exactly. Before, yeah. Well, I am a huge fan of the television series *The Bridge*. Yeah. So then you know exactly <sighs> where I come yes, from. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, and and then you know, I I lived there till and I went to. Um, art school and oh, design then. school in Sweden. In Malmo or no, in, that was in Stockholm. I in first Stockholm. went to University of Lund. I oh. did history of art in English there and then I went to Stockholm for 3 years and went into design and art school. Oh, exciting. So, yes, yeah, so I graduated as a fashion designer. Oh, how and, great. Yeah, and I've always been doing knitwear. Yeah. Yeah. But Um, Yeah, and then, you know, I just worked for different companies. Or rather, I was always freelance, so I worked with several different ones, and with magazines. Mm -hmm. And then um, when my husband finished his second degree, which he was doing in London, uh, I kept commuting between sort of Malmö and London. He, uh, He just said, because he'd been to Australia earlier, as a 10-pound pom from England. In the early 70s, Australia was desperate for more people. Right. So you could pay 10 pounds if you were an Englishman or woman. Really? And you went on this wonderful ship cruise for six weeks, and all you paid was $10, but you had to contractually... Um, promised you would be there for two years right and he stayed for about fa- four years in Australia but you know of course traveled in between mm-hmm. and uh, but then and then we met in Paris when I was there uh, for a while working and uh, we got married and can uh, went to do a second degree and became a geophysicist so what what are his degrees in his first one is in English Philosophy and international relations, oh. and then he did his second degree in geology and then f- uh, geophysics. Right. So uh, does he work in that then yeah. in Australia? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. So he has been in the oil business right ever since we moved to yeah. Australia. And he, because he'd been in Australia and loved it, he said, "You know, I think that's a great place to grow up in for our children." Yes. And uh, and I said, "Yeah, you know, Australia. I know about the merino wool. Yeah, I come along." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and and then to my chagrin, I would say, they have them as wonderful fleas, but they don't do much with it. So they export most of it to overseas to be, you know, manufactured or right. that. And, um, yeah, so I had nothing, I, I, I had no yarn. And then all my girls were small. And, and we lived in China and we lived in Indonesia during that time, too. Mm-hmm. And I was really just, yeah, I just had to be around to just, you know, keep the family sort exactly. of on an even key.
0: I think that's really necessary. You know, Do it's, you know? Yeah. it's. It, I think it is so unfortunate that society has... Well, I think for the last 30 years or so, forced women to choose. You're going to have a career or mm. you're going to have kids. Because the truth is, you really need to do both. Yes. And you can't do them at the same time. No. But, um, I mean, obviously Sweden is light years ahead of the States <laughs> yeah. with this. But in the, in the United States, you, when you are off for pregnancy and, and delivery, you don't get any money. No, no. And it's only just been in the last, you know, 15 years that we even got time off. We get mm. 12 weeks and it's unpaid. Yeah, yeah. And that's guaranteed by the government, so they can't fire you. But they're still they still businesses still try to find ways around it. It's so unfortunate because I think it's so um, it's so narrow minded.
1: Oh, do you know I mean just as you say, Sweden is light years ahead because for night my two older daughters are mm-hmm. born in Sweden. And then I received ninety percent of my salary mm-hmm. for 12 months mm-hmm. after birth, or I could decide to start it, you know, when I was eight months pregnant or nine months pregnant, if right. I wanted earlier. Right, And then you had, and then I was another, you can stay home for another year, and you got, um, that was sort of, they called it a parent benefit payment. Right. Uh, which was much less, but all the same, if you weren't extravagant, it, it, you, you could... Pa- you could pay the bills and Yes, home. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if your spouse were working, you know, that wasn't a problem. Right. And, um, and now, of course, it's fantastic because now men have six months. Yes. And they are required to take it. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's, That's fabulous. But, you know, this tour they have, you have 180 days per child... You can be home until they finish primary school to look after them if they're ill. And, and you,
0: yeah. I swear, once a week, I feel like I pick up a newspaper or online, I see a story about a poor woman who's working at Walmart and barely makes, doesn't even make minimum wage, and has a kid, and the kid gets sick, and she has to like go to work and leave the child in the car for four hours. You know what I mean? Because yeah. she can't and and then everyone's like what a terrible mother. And I'm like seriously what, what what can you do? Because we if we don't value our mothers, we don't value our children.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you see in our society what happens when you don't value the children. They grow up with a big chip on their shoulder because yeah. if someone isn't loved, they'll make you pay for it later. And it's it's just so unfortunate and I think we could do we're the richest nation in the world. Mm.
1: We could do a lot better. Oh, do you know? I just feel, well, you know, I'm watching your politics. Well, I mean, it's well, sort of like, get rid of the billionaires. You don't need billions of dollars. No, you, you need, don't. Have a few million and feel grand and fantastic and good about yourself if that is what gives you right. self worth. Right. But give the rest away for Christ. You can only sleep in one bed at night. You can only live in one house, one, you know. How many
0: islands can one
1: buy? I know.
0: You know, it's just, it's really frustrating. And our politics is so money-driven. It's become yeah. even more so the past few years because yeah. we had this, uh, a case in the Supreme Court called Citizens United, where somebody had made a film about, it was actually about Hillary Clinton. It was a—it was an anti-Hillary Clinton film. Right. And it was from a group called Citizens United. And the upshot of that was they wanted to put this movie out all over the place and it would have been... Um, uh, perceived as uh, campaigning for the opposition to Hillary Clinton, right. and so they were fighting it, saying, "Well, no, it's not fair to put the South, This isn't like a real movie. This is a propaganda piece." And the Supreme Court came down and said, "Well, no. Anyone who wants to do this, you know, you can have these super PACs that have billions and billions of dollars, as long as they're not, you know, directly dealing with the candidate." But that's the problem: they're directly dealing with the candidate. You know, I mean, every candidate now has super PACs. Yeah, even those who don't have super PACs will have super PACs that are gathering money sort of on their behalf mm-hmm. like Bernie Sanders doesn't have a super PAC mm-hmm. but there are super PACs that raise money because they are so anti-Hillary that they'll mm-hmm. raise money and spend it on ads that are ostensibly for yeah. you know Bernie Sanders yeah so it's just it's nothing but billions and billions and billions mm-hmm. of dollars and it's it's it makes me crazy and the media mm-hmm. is it's like hand in glove with it because the media loves it because it just means more advertising and they make a lot of money. So that's why you turn on the TV and every time you turn it on, it's the most controversial person yes. saying the most controversial things because it gets eyeballs. And if they get people watching, they can raise their rates for their ads and they make more money.
1: Because that is, actually, I don't agree with him on, on you know uh, abortion and women uh, casting. Uh-huh. But he's actually someone who has gravitas and actually has thought about the issues that right. we talked about. See, And I find Sanders sound, the same. They yes, are, yes. The two of them, I feel they are the most decent men and the most honest of them. But I may be totally different. But I, Trump, he doesn't know. I, no. mean, what is the law? I watched him when he came out with that, you well, know, gaff about women should... <laughs> Punished and put in jail. And and
0: he uh, there's a video of him 20 years ago saying, I'm very pro-choice. You know, he just changes yeah. with the wind. Uh, when I lived in New York City, and I lived there for almost 30 years, um, you know, he was a big name in New York. And I think we just thought of him as like this rich, blowhard kind of goofball, but very liberal. Anytime he would come out and talk about anything, he was on the very liberal side of it. And now this whole evangelical thing he's doing in my favorite books, the Bible and all that, it's such a... Oh! It's so, um, it's so pandering, it's so patronizing. And, of course, the people that he's patronizing to are not getting how patronizing this is. I think he probably will be the candidate for the Republican Party. I, I myself, am not a Republican. I have a lot of friends who are, and my, a lot of my family were. I have respect, you know, for the the party that I disagree on mm. a lot of things, but, you know, we've had a lot of good presidents who've done good things some very good senators and gov- governors who've been Republicans, I think what Trump is doing is exploding mm. the Republican Party. I, I think so. It's so. turning it into the National Front, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It's That's insane. And, and of course, the rest of the world is just looking on with um, disbelief, yeah. complete and utter disbelief. Yeah. But I think, actually, the Republicans Republican themselves have caused this with the absolute stupidity of blocking whatever... Obama has put forth no, they are not going to have an, and that is all the message the whole world knows. It's ridiculous because it's a black man. Yeah, they are not going to have him, let him have anything. Ah, now it's disgusting. What you're saying is true. However, they did much the same thing with
0: Clinton. That's true. Now that was a different era mm. when there was a lot more communication between people, mm. um, and a lot of the polarization mm. happened with the rising up of the Tea Party. And if there had been a Tea Party presence in the 90s, I think Clinton would have had the same ride that Obama has. So I think par- part of it probably is racial. Yeah, I mean, you can't get away sure. from that. But I think it's more that the guy is a Democrat. Uh, yeah. And I was just talking about this with a friend of mine the other day. If you don't compromise, you can't get anything done. The only people, who, the only people who, who don't compromise are dictators, and dictators never last. You know, they will eventually be
1: overthrown. I think it's actually a bad thing to just have two parties. You need to have a In Sweden, you have five parties. You always have five parties. And they always very seldom one has a complete majority exactly they have to coexist. they have to go together with some they have to compromise you know does sweden have sweden has a parliamentary system right of course yes yeah you know, we uh, there's nothing communist about it it just right. makes me so oh it's, no no, no. I, I just think
0: compared to ours ours is not really a parliamentary system oh, I, almost, I, see. I wish we did but it's really hard to have more than the two parties I see it evolving into that, and we probably will, yeah. but like, you know, Israel and England and Sweden, yeah. places that are set up with a
1: parliamentary system, yeah, it's a Germany. lot easier for them. Yeah. You to, know. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, no, so you know, that is... No, I know Sweden is yeah, not no, communist. Yeah, no, good, yeah, because a lot of They're people... They're socialists in the best way. Like, yeah.
0: Jesus was socialist.
1: Exactly.
0: I used to have a book in my bathroom, in my bathroom that said, Jesus and other famous socialists and I pretty much just had it there to make people's heads explode. Yeah. You know,
1: if they go to the bathroom. They <laughs> I mean, luckily, we don't have the Bible mm-hmm. bashes in Australia as strongly mm-hmm. as you have here. But uh, I, I must say that um, uh, um, that point should be pointed out. You know, he did good. He was a socialist. He'd make no distinction. Mm-hmm. And being rich had absolutely no favor whatsoever didn't make me into anything better.
0: Yeah. Or, you know. Well, I mean, I I was raised a Methodist and raised, you know, rather religiously. And the whole point of the book, you know, the Bible, as I was, and I was compelled to memorize many, many Bible verses. And the whole point was, be kind, give to the poor, be good to those in prison, visit those in prison. That's very important. All of these things that, (laughs) that if you were to, it's the things that the right wing totally doesn't support. You know, if if you just listen to them and didn't know the Bible at all, you think that the whole Bible was make as much money as you can because that'll prove that you're a good person and don't let anyone have abortions and everyone gets a gun. Yeah. yeah and it couldn't be farther from that. On it, and it's yeah. it, You get rid of your money because it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel yep. to get through the eye of yeah. a needle. Be kind to people don't judge mm-hmm. you know ye who are without sin cast the first stone that's what it's about
1: exactly
0: and i don't consider myself a christian anymore i really consider myself an atheist to be honest um you know but
1: but a very but, humanistic yeah and i'm probably i sort of believe in something big but i'm more sort of you know the buddhist way or right. something that the universe whatever the light whatever they call I, it i believe in the goodness of people yeah. and i think when two people get together then the
0: goodness can be exponentially better
1: and that is what we only thing we said to our daughters we want you to be kind because you've had a good life and yeah. you've had it much better than most people and that you just follow your heart is not what you can earn but it is what you feel a passion for yeah that is going to give you a good life and the money you need will come with that yeah but you never need more than you need well george bernard
0: Shaw. this is my favorite quote i say it all the time and i always mangle it too but he said um something to the effect of a uh, man's uh, unhappiness is in direct proportion to how much money he has above or below what he needs. Yeah. If you have way too much, you're not really going to be that happy. You're going to be looking over your shoulder. If you don't have enough, you're not going to be happy because you're going to be worried. Right. But if you have what you need, that's, that's the best recipe for life. And unfortunately, the way we have our retirement system set up here is um, if you don't save and save and save and have the IRA and all that stuff, you will there's a good chance you will be destitute or very poor when you're a senior citizen. And thank God we have Social Security now, because before we had that, it was really horrible. And we just don't have the welfare state to help people. So I think many, many Americans always just kind of feel that fear, that edge, the nice, the really best thing for me about the ACA, the Affordable Care Act that they passed a few years ago, it's not perfect. It could be better. Mm-hmm. It Some people, it, it wasn't good, great for some people, but it was very good for most people. But the best part about it is you don't live in fear that if your child gets cancer, you're going to lose everything you have.
1: Or if yourself, your family. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Because that is, and I mean, did you see Obama? And at the press conference with Obama and Castro. Right? Yes, I did. Yeah. I thought it was so poignant. And, you know, when Obama, when he has to do that, you know, the human right. I believe in human rights. Oh, yes. But then when he counted back and said, well, you know, we, did you know that Cuba has the highest literacy in the world, 95 percent? He said, we believe it's a human right to have education, free education, free Medicare. And it was something else, free. And he said, that for us are human rights too. Mm-hmm. It's not just about to speak. That is important too. But then mm-hmm. I thought of America. Yeah, you have no free Medicare. Schooling is extremely expensive. Oh, that's awful. And So I thought, there's absolutely no equality whatsoever here. He no. said, if you're rich, you get it all. If you're poor... You are very lucky if you can, you yeah. know, get yourself into, because you can still be a bright person. Yes. If you're, but that, and, mm. and, and for me, that's,
0: that's the sad part. I mean, the whole thing is sad. When I went to college in 1978, um, colleges were less expensive and our government was better at mm. giving grants and, um, low interest loans. It was still much more expensive to go to college here than it would be in England, mm. you know, where it's. Pretty much free in many cases.
1: Yeah, Sweden. It was yeah, is free. free still.
0: But at the time, my college was the most expensive college in America. Okay. And I went there because cause I. was that? It was Denison University. It's a small liberal arts school. It was fifteen thousand dollars a year, and okay. that was a real that was a lot in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I and can see that.
0: I got yeah. like I had like a huge scholarship, and you know, and it, it worked out great for me because I'm the first one in my family to ever go to college.
1: Oh, right. My parents
0: yeah. never went. No one else had gone, so I'm the yeah. first one. And so that was really great. And I remember thinking, to go to college and be poor, you have to be a pretty smart student. Yeah. I remember having that thought. Yeah. Now, to go to a good college and be poor, you have to be a friggin' genius. Yeah. You have to get the highest grades on the, on the testing that they do, total high grades in all your classes. Because if you're just like, an, like a moderately but a very smart kid but not like a genius, mm. you're not going to get grants. You're, I mean, it's going to be very hard very hard my my son is applying to colleges now and he's been accepted at several and we've had to say no to several because there's no way we can afford them mm. and that's heartbreaking as a parent to know that your son is so smart and so good he can't but, get in
1: and do you know what i also feel i mean again you know i will harp on Sweden, but they're really got the there <laughs> because, because,
0: hey, listen, because if i spoke swedish we'd be there right now yeah, you know what
1: because, <laughs> but i tell you no but there again it's your education has actually nothing to do with your parents. University is free. Mm-hmm. And then the state gives you an allowance to live on. Yeah, 75% of that you have to pay back. So ah. that is your student loan. Yep. But it means it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your background is. Everyone who is you know, intelligent enough to uh, pass, to mm-hmm. get into what they're interested in, to study. Right have the right to do it, can do it. So, yes. yeah, that's been incredible social mobility. Yeah. That is all about, you know, if you can do it, nothing will hold you back.
0: There's this meme that's going around right now, and it's I think it's a very right-wing meme, but it's one of those that's like dressing itself up in egalitarian talk, but it isn't. And it's people saying... Bernie Sanders wants free college and Hillary Clinton says everyone should go to college and but college isn't for everyone. Some people want, you know, should be mechanics and blah blah blah. And if you listen to any of the speeches what they say is someone should have a chance to mm. go to college or to go to the technical school they want to go to. Yeah. Because not everyone is cut out for, no. you, you know,
1: and it's ridiculous that Exactly. Everyone, like, I mean in Australia it's like everyone is going to college. I mean that costs money too. Now that's yeah. expensive. And I was very put out when, you know, because they were free till about, what would that be? Yeah, mid, late 80s. And then they started to lift fee, put fees and now it's expensive. Is it? And uh, is it like I, here? Um, it's not like here. And are still easy to get student loans and oh, wow. they have a very low rate on them. But people go out with, yeah, they can go out with a few hundred thousand dollars uh, in, 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 uh, in loads. So it is fairly similar, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel that is wrong because that means, yes, the rich kids get exactly what they want exactly. and that is wrong rich kids are usually lazy kids well, and if everything is paid for them they don't even make an effort because they don't have to oh if they pass and oh you know i get a job and oh mom and dad is anyway paid for it the other ones to sit there with two hundred thousand dollar you know loan. at least they usually work very hard yeah and are really they are the ones you want to go to if they are doctors and vets and that because yeah. you know they know their stuff the rich ones, uh, then you know, they barely pass and that. If you do those sorts of subjects you need to pass well. Yeah. Because if you don't know not the anatomy of the body that. I don't want to be operated by you. <laughs> you know. Because well,
0: you know, the joke, what um what do you call the lowest the student with the lowest grade average who graduates from medical school? Doctor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love like you know,
0: that. It's absolutely true. You yeah. you don't know, you know. I'm gonna get. I'm probably gonna get the provenance of this quote wrong. I think it was um, uh, Ann Richards. She was a governor of Texas. She was amazing. She was amazing. A wonderful woman. And I believe it was her that said, "Some of these people are born on third base and act like they've hit a home run." It's a baseball term. Baseball, there are three bases: you, yeah. first base, second base, third base. After third base, you run home, and then you and that's a home run. Yay! You get enough home runs, you win the game. Well, whereas the rest of us have to run to first base, run to second base, run to third base. Some people are born on third base, Hmm. and and that's fine, you know, some people are lucky, that's what life is, but I hate it when they act like they've hit a home run, you know, I hate that, I hate it when, like, like Trump... Who talks about how hard he's worked all his life and, oh, yeah, that million dollars your dad gave you. Oh, you know, dad didn't
1: help you at all. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. So. So, so
1: now tell me about this. What is this you're doing?
0: Here? I'm starting yeah. a podcast, or my, my business partner and I are. I've wanted to do one for a long time because I love to listen to podcasts a lot. Right. Like, I listen to the Swedish history one, and there's a yeah. couple of British history ones that I love. And there's a podcast called The Nerdist Podcast. And that's Chris Hardwick, and he does it out in California. And he just interviews really interesting people. And I love his podcast because I sit and I listen to people while I'm knitting. And I feel like I'm overhearing a really great conversation. Yeah. And I thought it would be nice to do a fiber-related podcast that's not all about what stitch are you on? You know, because sometimes those feel so forced, Mm -hmm. like, now show me your knitting. (laughs) And, you know, if yarn comes up, that's great. But mostly I just think the people in our industry are very, very interesting because we come from different places. Very few people graduate with a degree in knitting Mm. i mean i know someone who did who graduated from england with a degree in knitting and very few people do and so we get to this in circular roots and it's so fascinating and we are such bright people and we have such great conversations i thought it can't hurt for people who listen to it it makes them feel more like they
1: know people who are in the industry and i think it's great and do you know you're absolutely right because we have a great well it's it's on radio in in australia but Mm -hmm. a great journalist and she does exactly she she but she interviews you know a lot of people you know in the arts visiting Australia, but they are sort of personal it's not that they are sprouting what they do, but they ask them about their family, where they came from, how yeah. they grew up it's fascinating, and I love it, yeah. And they changed the time because I always that was my knitting hour because oh, I thought no. it was so wonderful. And then they changed it to a time that didn't work for me. It was, it was 10 to 11. And I will bet you
0: they have it on a podcast, though. Just about any radio show that you listen to now oh. you can get on a podcast.
1: Yeah, I have to look into that because that is those are the problems I like the best. Yeah. Or when hearing yes. People who just, you know, yeah, do something you like or something you're interested in. They come from somewhere else and mm-hmm. how they got there because every way is different. And what I have found, Annie, with all the knitters, people come from all over. Oh, And yeah. they are often, you know, they are often academics who are just s- given over. It, you know, it, again and again and again I come across this. Yeah. And I feel, I, well, it's no wonder they're all so interesting because they... You know, they have had a lot of different things in their life. Yeah, in my classes, I have the
0: most interesting people. And, like, I had a woman in two of my classes, and she's like some big old judge here in Colorado. She was just the loveliest, most interesting person. And then next, her was a woman who, I'm not even sure she graduated high school, and she had the greatest stories, and was so sweet and so funny. And I just, I love that. I mean, you get you get some sour apples in every industry. And, yeah. But... For the most part, I just love the time I spend with knitters yeah. and just chatting with them, and so that's what we wanted this to be. Yeah. And then if people are like, "Oh, and by the way, here's this new book I have coming out, or I have this thing I'm working on," well, then that's that's all the better because you know, yeah. it's nice to get it's nice to get the word out. If someone has yeah. a new pattern, it's nice to hear about it. Do you have anything yeah. new coming out? Well,
1: I do. I, <laughs> my greatest thing is that I have lamb spun. Oh, now, how nice. You know, having my yarn, I got a shop in America, which I have really wanted to have. And oh, there have been other people who are, you know, yeah. because uh, though it works very well with, uh, uh, with the internet business, yes. because now I've been here so many times. But, yeah. you know, I found at the beginning it was very hard for people, you know, they bought heaps when I was here of me. Right. But it it took a long time to trickle through mm-hmm. to actually become orders mm-hmm. from Australia. Now we have a lot from America and Canada. Oh, that's really good. And that has really been, you know, heartening. Yeah. But even so, it's just great if I could have, you know, at least you know, four or five shops just in sort of, you know, one yes. in the east, one in the west, one here, uh, <laughs> one in the south, yep. and somewhere else. So so people can also actually find the yarn here. Where, where is the shop that is carrying you now? Oh, so Lamb's is in Fort Collins. Lovely. Well, that's great. It's right here. Oh, you know, so it's right here. Oh, that's it's nice. the most. When I walked in there, and this is long before, you know, I visited, yeah. I think, the first time four years ago. Mm-hmm. It is a shop that is endless of room after room oh my. after room yeah. full of all this gorgeous yarn from everywhere mm-hmm. and every spinning equipment you could wish for and really? every loom you could wish oh, for. Oh, nice. And I think there are seven rooms yeah. in all. And then there is a great restaurant, you know, day-day uh, restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so you can... It's like I, a little cafe. Yep, so you can go there have lunch and breakfast, or you can sit at a big knitting table mm-hmm. in, and just have it come delivered to you while you sit there and knit. Oh my heavens! That's and around right this table are just the most interesting women. Mm-hmm. I was there on Tuesday and I laughed so hard, and they <laughs> were so funny and they were so clever. Yeah. And. We were discussing history. There were two real history buffs, and I'm like you. I love history. I love history. And it was so much fun. And I was like, wow, there are other people who love history like that. So I feel you you can just have the greatest conversations where you least expect it. Mm -hmm. And also what I find with groups, when you're knitting group or you 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 teach a class, particularly if you're able to sort of do it a few weeks in a row and that, the bonds that are formed yeah. and the trust. I think it's some sort of trust that yeah. is just generated. And suddenly you sit there with people you absolutely haven't had heard of before telling the innermost secrets oh. because they oh. are feeling so safe.
0: Exactly. I was saying to a friend, um, I was teaching yesterday, and somebody had taken a class, not at Interweave, but at you know, some other place. And a teacher had not exactly been unkind to them but it told them that they were knitting wrong and that she couldn't help them and that and the thing is this woman is a left-handed knitter and she was oh, she was a good knitter yeah but she was very unsure of herself and that self-doubt was making her um not be as brave as she needed to be to move on to the next steps yeah so she was in my class and I love left-handed knitters I knit crazy anyway so if they lift I do a lot of backwards knitting so it's just the same as left-handed knitting so I can show them all the you know techniques either way so we were talking and I said you know what's troubling about hearing that is that when you are in a class um, you open your soul to the Mm. teacher you have to open up your soul so you can receive information Mm. and that makes you incredibly vulnerable and as a teacher it's our job to Try to respect that vulnerability mm-hmm. and teach. And sometimes you have to be firm with people, and that kind of walks a line between—you mm-hmm. don't want to hurt them, you don't want to—you know—but you do want them to get the information. And I think in this case, the teacher had just been a little too firm, mm-hmm. and maybe the teacher didn't really understand about left-handed knitting. And and sometimes when people don't understand something, their reaction, instead of saying honestly, "I don't understand this. I wish I could help you," sometimes the reaction mm-hmm. is, "You're wrong."
1: Yeah. Because yeah. it hurts right. your
0: ego to say, I don't understand this. But that's the best route, obviously. Mm. And so I, I think the same thing. I think that's why really strong immediate bonds can happen. Mm. Because when people open their souls and mm. when, as the teacher, then you open your soul back, mm. Mm. you get these immediate friendships yeah. that yeah. might in, in another um you know situation might take months or years to develop.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Plus you you are both sharing a common interest. Right, exactly. Uh, and usually it is a passion when it's something you actually are going willingly to learn something more about. Exactly, so, I totally yeah, agree. So you are. And, uh, yeah, no, I one of the first things I always say when we start class, and I say, please remember, don't compare yourself with anybody. Exactly. Around here. Because a lot of people are, are, will swear to themselves blue and black that ne- they never ever tried this before but i said i have noticed that you know some people they have practiced this a lot and never sort of felt they really got it but oh no they don't know it they never done it and then when you start data they... <laughs> and i mean you, know, you don't do it that if you've never done it so yeah. i said don't believe anyone who says they've never done it if they are really good at it straight yeah, away because true. they have. And then once I said that in class, and I said, so how many of you have really touched on this before? I was sort of a bit familiar. Yeah, play and there were about half the class. Oh. But when we first came in, none had done it at yeah. all. And I said, now you see what I mean. Yeah. You don't compare yourself. We all have. And I said, we all have different ways of learning. Yeah. And for some, they, it's, it's just the right thing for them to learn. They just get it straight away. For others, it just takes a bit to just get around it. And just sort of get Everyone that. is so different. Yeah. Some people get things at first. Some people get
0: things at last. Yeah. Not everyone's going to get it at the same speed. and it's, I, I Actually, at the beginning of my class, I have three rules. And two of them make perfect sense. One is, if I'm talking, don't talk. And the other one is, um, please don't rip out in class so I can see if you've made a mistake and help you with it. Yeah. And then the main rule, though, which has nothing to do with knitting, but I have found it's very helpful in class. I tell my students, I generally have women in class, so I phrase it mm. this way. I say, anyone here, who has, anyone here who has a daughter or a daughter-in-law or a niece or the daughter of a friend or someone who lo- looks up to you as a mentor, mm. I don't want you to say anything in class that you wouldn't want to hear your daughter say about herself. So if you're inclined to say, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't get this, I'm all thumbs, think about if you heard your daughter say that, and what you would say to her is, no, no, honey, you're really smart. This is hard. It's Mm. just taking time for you to get it. So I I ask my students to give themselves the same kind of love Mm. that they would give their daughters. And I have noticed it makes a big difference because people... Not only are less inclined to denigrate themselves, but when someone next to them is like, oh, I'm awful at this, the women around them will say, no, you're doing really well. And it's very supportive and it's really nice. And I also say, if someone next to you is doing really, really well, don't look at it as like they're outshining you. No. Look at it as there's someone you can learn from, and that's a brilliant exactly. thing. Exactly. You know?
1: Exactly. Look at it and be happy for them, but don't compare yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... that's it's really hard in life not to compare yourself. Yeah. It's and I the know that thing. too. Yeah. And
1: that's why I, I just straight Because when it comes, yes, learning in continental knitting, a lot of people have touched that. But if you've never done it, yeah, it just takes... I remember it took me time. Uh-huh. But, you know, that didn't happen in, in a flash. Right. And so why shouldn't you take that for
0: everybody? And for me, knitting with my right hand, you know, is much harder with the yarn in my right hand. Yeah. Because I naturally hold the yarn in my left hand because I started as a crocheter. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. You know,
0: so for me, that just is natural. Yeah. But I understand that it's not that easy for everyone. I don't teach a class in holding the, hand, holding the yarn in my left hand. But often Mm -hmm. in class, people want to try it. Mm -hmm. And what I tell them is, you know, watch me, try it, practice it. The best thing you can do is practice it. Mm -hmm. But if you're in class and I'm trying to teach you this technique, often they're like, I'm going to do the cabling, and I'm going to do it by holding the ear to my left hand, like one thing at a time, you know. If you try to do too much, you're not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So one thing at a time, you Mm -hmm. know. But I think holding in your left hand can be really comfortable, but that's because it
1: is for me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that is also, and I have actually, well, what I found with continental knitting is, because my daughter is left-handed, so I Mm -hmm. taught myself to knit left-handed so I could Mm -hmm. teach her. And she was looking at it, and she said, Mom, I think it would be easy to do it your way, because you use both hands anyway. Exactly. And I said, you're absolutely right. And off she went and had no problem. So I often say that to left-hand people now that, you know, if you want to learn this way, it doesn't matter. You, you will get it. Right. Because both hands are as involved. Yes. So the, the
0: left still has to be working and the right,
1: yeah. When, oh, when I'm right knitting, hand, yeah.
0: I use my left hand a lot more than I use my right hand. Mm. So it's funny when people are like, I'm left-handed, so I have to do it this way. I'm like, you can do it however you want. Mm. I just want you to watch me knitting, and I use my left hand more than my right. So,
1: Yeah. you know. And then, but do you know what I also find so interesting in class? I mean, so, yes, I teach the continental, Mm -hmm. and then I just said to people that knitting is just like handwriting. Mm -hmm. So I teach you the sort of the general gist of this way of knitting, but I said I found that there are always people who can do exactly the same thing, but they do it a little bit different, and I say that isn't wrong, that is now your handwriting. Oh, that's so good. So if you do a perfectly right, but you tend to hold, and you know it flows, I say that's okay. If you feel more comfortable that way,
0: Yeah, I'm
1: not going to fault you because you can knit that way. It looks exactly the same. It looks good and you feel comfortable. You can continue it that way. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. That's really good
0: because some yeah. people, you know, are... It's exactly like what you used to see above the chalkboard in school, the lettering, it's perfect, it's exact. And then some people are a little, you know, they're like, they're like printing or. Um,
1: yeah. As <laughs> that's really As long as it's you know, in yes, that Yes, exactly. And here, as long as it's formed a stitch, you, you want and you right. feel comfortable. right. I'm very happy for you. That, that's what
0: I am I, I like. However you know is great, my job here is to help you understand what you're doing yeah. and to do it the, as best as you can.
1: Exactly. And feel comfortable with yeah. it. And feel that when you walk out of this classroom, you actually understood what it is you're doing. Now, besides Continental, what else do you teach? Also, you know, I've taught everything. Fair <laughs> Isle, Fair Isle, and oh, yes. speaking yeah. have always been my big things. Right. But, of course, here in America, yes, there are so many people who teach Fair Isle, so mm-hmm. you don't really need another. Because I would love to teach Fair Isle uh, classes. But, yeah. uh, and, then, and finishing techniques. I love finishing techniques. I do,
0: too. Because I really do.
1: There are so many competent knitters who do beautiful work. And then once they put you together, you can cry. And that's exactly
0: true. And I think I think there are also a lot of very, very good knitters who will go out of their way to knit a sweater that has no seams. Mm. because they're convinced that they that seams are difficult mm. and once you show them how easy it is, how easy it is to pick up the stitches, how easy it really it, is yeah it it's life changing I think good finishing is life changing for a knitter
1: yeah sure, no but but it is yes and and then you can just get this gorgeous garment you created, but before just ruin because if 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 the scene you know you see this beautiful affair and then with a the little crunch stuff know. you know <laughs> oh my
0: goodness oh my goodness oh, oh, i know oh you I know, know here
1: is that really poorly just, so it just oh. looks it's falling out you or,
0: just want to take but, it off of them and finish yeah exactly
1: <laughs> or you know yes picked up around the vest here and he's yeah. floppy and yeah and that you think oh but you know, use just a smaller needle and pick up. Decrease a few stitches. It's yeah. be okay. <laughs> and, but, of course, if they've never been seen it, and yeah. they do the best they can from the knowledge they have. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. But that is really worth spending your money, I feel. I believe. I yeah. totally agree with you. I,
0: and my, I taught a finishing class yesterday, and it was sold out. It was a great class. Yeah. And one of the great things about it was we discussed Kitchener Stitch. Yeah. And a couple of the students had taken a class earlier that had a lot to do with grafting and Kitchener Stitch, and they were very confused. Um, And I don't think it's because the teacher wasn't good. I think it's just the way sometimes you present information doesn't resonate with everyone. No. And the way I teach Kitchener is I tell a little story. It kind of makes it make sense, Mm -hmm. and so people remember it. And that was incredibly gratifying because... Everybody was kitchenering at the end of the class, and I felt like it was a small personal victory. Yes. I have a funny story. I used to work at a yarn shop, and we would do sweater finishing. So, like, somebody would knit a sweater, but they didn't feel good about their finishing. They'd bring it in, and for $25 an hour, we would, you know, put it together and, you know, do the finishing. And a lot of yarn shops do that. Um, And I was the one who would do the finishing. So a woman came in with uh, with a, a bag, and she said, "Do you?" We had a sign that said uh, "sweater finishing twenty five dollars an hour," and she said, "You'll finish the sweater." And I said, "Yes." And she had like done half of the front, and that was it. And she thought I was going to like knit the sweater. I was, oh. going, to, I was going to finish the sweater. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "No, I'm not knitting your sweater." And then I was like, "Well, for twenty five bucks an hour, maybe I will knit your sweater." <laughs> I thought oh, that was so funny, though. That oh. was, It's so a
1: finishing technique. It had nothing to do with a technique. It was exactly. just finishing the sweater.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, is yeah. is that how you say it in Swedish? Is it like finishing? Is that the same idea? or?
1: Yeah, yeah. What would you say? Um, do you know? It is such, you know, it's almost in your blood in all the Scandinavian people. Because I found that when I started to write pattern in English. Mm-hmm there was so much that was obvious in the swedish pattern that you, you never mentioned explain.
0: you have to explain in english But
1: here you had to be every single stitch and what happened and it yes. was less and it took me it took me a year or two to get my head around all that and remember everything mm-hmm. but I've, I've had a wonderful person i call him my right hand yeah you know woman for began design and she You know, she she reads the finished pattern and then she knits a a new copy of it. So she does go through the pattern. And that has been really helpful for me because sometimes she does really say, you know, you're saying this, but I don't quite understand the way you explain it. And we discussed it a bit and then we realized how I should say, but of course, English is not my native language. Right. I mean, today it's not hard. Now I've done it for 11, 12 years. Yeah. But when I started, I remember that that was just because, and I said, you know, I don't understand, it. how do you mean? Oh, but you know, it's just like that. Oh, it's that what, but you know, you have to write that. Yes. Oh, I said. <laughs> Isn't that? Oh, I thought you just knew that That's so
0: hard. It's Do you so know? hard. I, yeah? I could never tech at it because I don't have that kind of patience, you know, to look at other people's work and put it into whatever the magazine speak is. You know, but, I just.
1: I must say that I find, yes, I write my patterns a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I've done a few patterns for interviews, but I think I, that is so very different from how I write it. It actually took me two weeks oh. to write a pattern. I thought, you know, usually it could take me, well, a day or two days, three days. I would yeah. say I sort of, you're muddied over. And then you have another week where you just even think about it and think, oh, maybe I should just, um, turn, yeah, it sort of is with you. Yeah. And, uh, but, I, but, you know, I just sat every day. Every day. <laughs> and I sat over oh. it. Oh no no, that is not, you know, enough you say and then I just oh, you know now I just realized yes, no. I send them my Australian pattern, my pattern that yeah everyone works on. And then it's much better someone who is really versed in this way exactly. do it because I understand that, you know. Their way is, is not that my way is right and theirs no. is wrong. It's just there are
0: different ways. It would be but, like me trying to translate something into Swedish without yeah. speaking Swedish, just with it, the Swedish dictionary.
1: Yeah, exactly. It it's is just so, so hard. So you sort of, and then I realized but this is ridiculous. We keep yeah, exactly. sending this backwards and forth when there is someone that completely competent who just yes. translate this into the way of the internet right.
0: format. And and I find out of all the magazines, Interview is probably the one that is the easiest to wrap my mind around. Yeah. But that might just be because I've worked with them so much. But
1: I think so, because that is what you got used to, you know. Or, yeah. And I know that if I did a lot of them, but, you know, my market is universal. Yeah. It's for, for the whole Western world. Right. So I just try to, you know, there is an English way of doing it. There mm-hmm. is a Scandinavian way, a German way, a French way, a Spanish. So I try to make it just, it's just universally Simple and people have, have often commented to me and say it's really easy to follow your nice. patterns. Yeah. and now I have everything both in inches and centimeters. Right, that's so, always helpful. Yeah, and like I just realized for me sizing because it's so many. There are four different sizing systems. So I simply just give the measurements. That's how it should be. Yeah, and then I, and then I say, measure your bust or yeah. measure your, your bottom or, you know, hips again, I feel so silly with English. It's not the hips because if people have never done sewing, yeah. they don't know, it's around your bottom because that is exactly. always your- The, the hip yeah. is the widest part but
0: people don't get that sometimes. No, yeah. exactly.
1: So uh, yeah, and from there I find that no one has a problem.
0: I, I, it really troubles me that there are these women's sizes like 8, 10, 6, and now you get a source and they have size 0, you know, size 1, size 2. It's insane. Everything should just be by the bust, you know, the bust size, unless it's pants or a skirt and then by the waist and the hips. Sure, by
1: the waist and the hips.
0: And that's how men do it. Yeah. You know, every pair of pants for a man, every suit, shirts, they're all the measurement around the neck, you know, it, you know, men don't go and say, I'm a size 4, You know, they go in and say,
1: I'm a 36 long, you know. Uh, I mean, yes, it's going to be (laughs) such, what do you say, inflation in women's sizes. I mean, I can be all from size 8 to size 16. Mm -hmm. And you have to know now the different designers, the different stores. Exactly. What does 16 mean? What's a British 16 versus a French 16?
0: And even in the States... What did 16 mean 20 years ago? Yep. What did 16 mean 40 years ago? And what does it mean today?
1: And that is exactly what I mean, because I found in Australia, there I can go from size 8 to size 16. I'm still exactly the same size, <laughs> but that seem, you know, I consider yeah. them as they're usually 12, 14. Right. But oh, pff, some wants you to feel just fabulously slim, and suddenly you're size 8, and I just know, this is ridiculous. Oh, I'm not a size 8. It I just am not. And if they went by the measurements, yeah.
0: like, you know, just... And, and it would be nice if we all knew inches and centimeters, and then we could just say, yeah. I am of this inches and so many centimeters. And yes, it would probably upset some people, but they'd get over it because they finally have really well-fitting clothes. Yeah. You can get over a lot of stuff when your pants fit.
1: Do you know? Yes, and I have always wondered about this because, yes, how people can squeeze themselves into these, <laughs> these clothes that are at least two sizes, too small, Ugh. and then they think that they look really good. No. they And not realizing that they just look very overweight, even if they're a slim person. Because if clothes are really tight, you just look... And if they hang loose, you look slimmer. It doesn't matter which size you are.
0: There's a style, I think it's funny going out of style, but it was really popular for about eight years or so, maybe more. And I think it all had to do with how much fabric the shirt manufacturers could save and how much money Ah. they could save. But it was cutting the women's sleeves... Just so they, just like little cap sleeves. So it just came over the upper arm and then, so it wasn't a short sleeve and it wasn't a tank top, but it was, and it would cut the arm at the widest point. And I see so many young women still sometimes wearing this, but wearing this, this it cuts you. Anything that cuts you at the widest point is going to make you look really fat. And I would see the skinniest girls wearing a shirt like this and looking like they had these really fat arms. Yeah. It's like, really, if you would just add like two inches to that, it would be amazing. Yeah. It'd make me so sad. And I feel that way about the jeans. You know, they wear jeans so low, oh. and the jeans cut you right at the widest place. Okay. And it makes you look so much heavier than you are. And it makes, it makes me cry.
1: And actually, every woman will get a muffin top. Exactly. And it's super unattractive. It's so awful. And it's yeah. really uncomfortable, too. Yeah, I know. And, do you know, I'm so happy. Have you seen fashion Are finally getting up into your waistline? A there? natural
0: waistline again.
1: I mean, teenage girls, yes, it's great to have. Yeah, you you well. can have those uh, hipsters. For any other woman. Right it's more comfortable to have it up here it it's ridiculous and and there's so much judgment
0: about yeah. clothing you know that if you if you are heavier or larger than it must be because you are lazy or or not working hard or have no willpower or whatever and i think you just got to take that judgment out of it because mm-hmm. different people are different sizes period yeah. and yes it's true that eat well exercise all that stuff yes you will be a thinner person but some pers- some people's thinner is a lot heavier than someone else's, you know, regular is. It's, we just have different bodies. I don't know why we can't... Except that you don't go around to someone and say, you have a round face. That must be because you're lazy and you have no willpower. It's like some people have a long face, some people have a
1: round face. Yeah. Short arms, long arms. arms. All that. And actually, that was a very good point, what you said, about, you know, some people can look really skinny and really weigh a lot, which is totally, you know, because I have a daughter, she's very sporty, but she really is just one big muscle. Yeah, exactly. And she is... Really heavy, she's just so dense. Well, muscle weighs more exactly, you know, muscle weighs and more. And then when people, this because she could be 10 kilos heavier, and, and if someone there, oh, you know, how much are you? Weigh? Oh, I was sixty, sixty-two 62 kilos. He looks it, yeah, yeah, but yes. that's what I weigh.
0: But I can climb this wall with just my hands. Exactly,
1: you know. <laughs> you know so no, exactly. That doesn't equate either, and that yeah. is also when people are trying to lose weight but are exercising then more. Yeah. They may not lose weight. Because their muscles yeah. instead gain density, but overall they probably will slim down a bit. Right. But you are so focused with these grams that go off
0: you. It's, you know, and it, yeah. it's just another way to judge. Yeah. And yeah. the reason people judge is because they want to feel better about yeah. themselves, because they can look down on someone else. Mm. And that, you know what, that kind of feeling better about yourself is never good. It never mm-hmm. lasts. It never makes mm. you feel. The only kind of feeling good about yourself that matters is when you know you've done something good.
1: Yeah. And you can be generous to others. Yeah, that's all Because that matters. all that, the judgment is simply, for most part, is just you are vulnerable yourself, and yeah. you can find someone who looks they could be more vulnerable than you. Yeah. So then if you judge, you sort of feel better about yourself. It, it's like animals. The most dangerous animal is one that's wounded.
0: Yeah. And sometimes the people yeah. who say the most biting and cruel things are people that have been wounded and feel like they are vulnerable or feel like they've been picked on and they grow up and they turn around and sometimes they become the people who say the nastiest things which is unfortunate you know because I when someone spouts nasty stuff like that or like I read someone on the internet saying terrible things I feel bad and then part of me just wants to go give them a big hug Mm -hmm. because I feel like they just haven't they have been feeling like a terrible person for so long you know or like they're not living up to some standard and i just want to say it's okay
1: everything's fine you're fine you're fine you look nice pretty hair but do you not know but that is what i've learned but i mean it took me a long time to understand that that yes
0: you can't learn
1: you can't know this when you're seventeen i wish you could because the most biting and the most cruel comments and people who deliver them are usually the most unhappy oh yes and the most hurting oh yes but of course you don't understand that you just get really hurt yourself yeah yeah. and they are you know they really are awful but exactly if one had had the the understanding of just you just turn around and say oh you know you must feel really bad about yourself saying that to me because you know that really hurts me but of course you don't because you just don't know that at that age no no no
0: and, that, yeah. and that, would, that would, in turn, be an incredibly cruel thing to say to someone, like, you must feel terrible about yourself to say that to me. You know, if I said that to someone, i feel horrible.
1: That they suddenly just sort of crumble, and they become who they really are, and suddenly you can reach them. And that's they understand, true. you actually want to be their that friend. <clears throat> that's actually, You're that's not true. judging them, and it's okay to feel the way they do, but they don't have to be hurtful and yeah. and nasty to others. Yeah, that they actually are okay yeah, being that exactly way. Yeah, that's exactly right. But again, you know. But we can't all be the Buddha. No. <laughs> just
0: we try, can try exactly. live up to
1: his ideal.
0: Well, it's just that—that's that's all life is. It's just trying hard to be. Yeah. That's so, what my mother used to say: just just try to be nice. Yes, yeah. like my mother. My mother was very uh, very anti um anti pride she yeah. felt people had too much pride yeah and they didn't have enough self-respect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she thought if people have real self-respect then they don't have to be prideful no and that that's like the whole religious thing too that's you mm. know you know deep in the religion pride goes before a fall the whole thing exactly and so um we used to go to my brother's uh, football games, and they had a big banner up that said Panther Pride. <laughs> my father would say, "Why can't they just say Panther Self Respect?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because no one's going to yell that.
1: <laughs> no. Panther Self Respect.
0: Exactly, but that's why I like I like Elizabeth Franklin. I like R E S P E C T. That's good. Yeah. and I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I think like Gay Pride. All that. I think that's a great <gasps> oh, no, thing no. because there's no better word for it no. than that. But um, I wish there were a word that meant pride, but also meant self-respect, you know, because inside I kind of cringe a little bit, because pridefulness puts you above someone else. Yeah. And that's not what gay pride's about. Gay pride's about, you know, we're as good as anyone. We're not better than anyone, or we're we're just as good as anyone. we just want to
1: be accepted for who we are. I want to live my life and hold someone's hand and walk down the street. And do you know what I wish? Is that people in general understood that this is the way you're born. It's not a chosen lifestyle. Exactly. And then someone said to me, who on earth would choose this if they had a choice? Because it's very hard. And it takes a long time before they can gain the security and feel that it can actually come out of whom they are. But 10% of the population are born this way. And did you know, the American Indians are the only people in the whole world Who have revered the homosexuals?
0: I actually do know that. Yeah. (laughs) My daughter is very uh, educational to me about the, you know, GDLT issue. And also i worked in the theater for 30 years, so I consider myself gay adjacent. Um, Yeah. We in Minnesota have, uh, we have two really good senators, but one of them is Al Franken. He used to be a comedy writer and a comedian, and he used to make this joke, you know, if you're against gay marriage, don't marry a gay. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah. and and I, I, just think what what is it your business? You know, if, yeah. if 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 you if you don't, it's not your business what anyone else does. No. Just leave people alone, and it doesn't hurt you. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah.
1: And aren't we lucky? We are accept. We are accepted being heterosexual it could be the reverse thing
0: well another comedian that i really like john Fugel, saying he will say to people i've heard him on the radio like as a host hosting shows and someone will call in and talk about someone choosing to be gay and he'll say well when did you choose to be a heterosexual when did you decide that you were going to sleep with you know women and that always stymies people because you know some people are raised to believe it's a very religious thing. They're raised to believe that it's wrong, and people choose it, and it really isn't that way. And it's yeah. it's sad when people yeah. try to turn someone else inside out and make them feel bad. I I think you know we're going to look back in fifty years and be terribly ashamed of ourselves, mm. the way that we look back now and see separate drinking fountains for blacks and whites. And we're any, anyone who oh, yeah. has a heart is ashamed that yeah. that went on. You know, yeah. and I'm not saying ashamed as in. It's my fault i'm ashamed, I'm yeah. saying it's shame that humanity allowed that yeah. to happen, and we're going to do the same thing, I think, with the gay rights and it's just sad, yeah it you is know. just
1: sad, but and we've
0: come yes. very far, yeah, we as a human the human race, which is great yeah
1: and and that is what we now need to work for, that we yeah. keep it there, and um the parts of the world that are not accepting yeah. simply can't persuade us to. Change back, but rather we can right. let them understand it's okay and it functions well in our society, and you should just embrace it too. Yeah, it's not a crime.
0: Exactly. It's
1: it's it's just
0: humane. It's what you're born to just, be. Just be kind. Yeah. Peer, just be kind. Listen to my mother, damn it. Just be kind. kind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this has been so lovely, and I have wanted to just have a chance to sit down and talk with you without worrying about, like, selling yarn to someone as they're walking by for so long. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this. You've been listening to the Mode Knit Yarn Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. The music in the show is Manchester Mystery by Brett Van Donsel, used with Creative Commons license. Sign up at iTunes to hear all of our podcasts, and you can visit our website at www.modenityarn.com Be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, all using Mode knit Yarn. Copyright 2017. Fiber Dying with Annie. Mode knit.